At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. Let's go to the Word of God, and then we will, we will add the practicum to the principles when I finish. Uh, to the psalmist, thank you for blessing us. And to, to those who are listening virtually, we welcome you into this experience, this encounter with God. My text this morning is coming from Revelations. I want to teach from the third chapter. I'm going to do a case study of this particular congregation of Sardis. Revelations 3, verse 1 and 2, and then we drop to verse 6. Write this letter to the angel of the pastor of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do and that you have a name and a reputation for being alive. Come on, go with me. Come on, go with me. Come on, go with me. No sad music this morning. No sad music. We're going to church. I know all the things you do and that you have a name and a reputation for being alive. But in reality, you are dead. Wake up. Revive what remains, which is about to die, almost dead. For I have not found your works completed in the sight of God. Anyone with ears, verse 6, let them hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. I want to talk to you from the thought found in verse 2. It says strengthen. The original text says revive what remains, which is about to die. I want to preach for a subject this morning, the revival of the remains. Tell somebody there shall be a revival of the remains. In this season that we're living in, I have been commissioned by the Holy Ghost uh, not to preach the traditional sermons. I went away and spent some time in the monastery. I was getting ready for Woman Died Loose. And the Holy Ghost was dealing with me and telling me that we have preached the people under a bench, but we have not taught them. My presentation this morning is not so much a sermon, but now I must teach prophetic utterances, prophetic instructions, because my assignment is to prepare you for the glory of the latter house. Towards that future occurrence, we are now called, in this, the nowness of this moment, we are called to reset and recalibrate. We are the kingdom counterculture, and we must lead the shifting of ourselves, of our families, of our communities, because we are about to enter into new dimensions of God. Hear what I say. We're not going to new levels. 
we're going to new dimensions, which means you should now experience the width, the height, the death of God in ways which you have never experienced him before. So the elevation of God causes a separation in God. Do not be surprised if some folk you used to hang around with, you found out that they are only seasonal. They have served their purpose. Now you must move on. Do not feel guilty. Do not feel hurt. Do not feel ashamed. But do not by any means ask God to fix what he has already fixed. Let's begin with this, op this, this observation. The, 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 the nature of this present time is still being characterized by what we have lost, who we have lost, what and who, uh, what was lost, who was lost, but yet who and what are left. Sometimes we can focus on what we lost until we ignore and don't pay enough attention to what is left. Uh, Paul says in, in Romans 8 and 22 that the whole creation is moaning and groaning right up until this present time. Everything that God has made is hurting and in pain. Paul Tillich says in his writing, The Shaking of the Foundations, that the institution which nurtured birth and growth in people are now being returned to the darkness and the chaos of their own existence to desperately cry out and to seek for repentance and redemption. Even the church, Paul go. Till it goes on to say that you, you cannot be so afraid of the shaking of the tremors of this moment until you believe that this is the new normal. We cannot be so afraid of this time until we miss what God is trying to do. When you talk to church leaders, church leaders have a tendency to put us between two, two different stratums, two different extremes. One believed that the church is in the process, the world is in the process of total annihilation. Another believed that we are now in the process of the recreation of everything. The danger in the first that we are in the process of total annihilation is that it paralyzes society and the church to the extent where we go down and we, we go and we sit down and we just wait for the inevitable. The problem with the other extreme is we, when we think that, that to recreate something is our going back to the past and just restoring what has already been. Huh. What God is trying to tell us is that uh, during these difficult times, during these hard times, everything that you do must predicate it on the ability to navigate the change. We talk change, we acknowledge change, but we don't teach people about how to navigate the change. Because the manner in which you handle the change will determine the quality of your now moment and whether there will be a future moment. Listen to this. We acknowledge that the, the last two and a half years, everything has changed and is yet changing. Mm -hmm. We have changed the way we live, love, work, worship, pray, think, speak, behave. You cannot practice, watch this, you cannot practice and promote the business as usual model. The world has changed, society has changed, you have changed, the church has changed, ministry must change. Watch this, even your praise must change. Ain't nobody saying nothing. Excuse me, I had uh, to take an antihistamine, so a little dry, but I'll, I'm good. 
In this season, we are required to, to, to think different, speak different, act differently. Watch this. All without dismantling the foundational tenets of our faith and confidence in God. Uh, it, it, this word today, watch this. This word today stands at the place of an unwavering confidence that God's tomorrow is being birthed out of your present moment. Uh-huh. Uh, who you shall be has already begun and who you shall be cannot be compared to what God has to do in you now let, let, me, put, let me put it this way who you have been up until this point we celebrate somebody celebrate who you have been to this uh -huh. somebody celebrate the goodness of God to this point I came to tell you that who God is about to make you cannot be compared to who you are right now. Because the change requires that you become the rest of who you are. Is there anybody in this church that's even curious about who God intends to make you. Let me say it this way. Is there anybody in here that needs God to make you more of who he has purposed you to be? Now, if you satisfy with yourself, this message is not for you. But I'm talking to those who in this house know there's more for you. There's more in you. There's more to come for you. Let the more people shout hallelujah. And the glory of the latter house shall be greater. Let, let me approach this this revival of the remains in this way. I was reading an article, and, 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 and the article was about a Japanese, a Japanese practice called kintsuki. Kintsuki is the practice of, of reaffirming, reviving, fixing broken vessels, uh, ceramics. In the process of reviving these shattered earthware, the first step in the process is that the potter takes the remains and sits them before him. As he considers the remains, he contemplates the remains. Uh -huh. He sits thinking about what can these remains become next? I'm talking to the spiritual people. He does not question how it got broken, how long it's been broken, and by whom was it broken? Those are not his questions or his concern. He never considers that because of its brokenness that it cannot be revived or repaired. And he never considers that it should be discarded and thrown away. Instead, his thoughts focus on what can be done with these remains based upon its now condition. After he has finished contemplating, he seals up the seams of the broken places with gold. Watch this. The new form that is made is not only more lavish and extravagant, but it is now more valuable, more profitable, more sought after, and more appreciated than its original state. I'm talking to somebody. 
Now, in putting the, the reset revive vessel back into the marketplace, uh-huh, he does not hide the fact that it was once broken. Rather, the brokenness becomes a part of the doc documentation, the story, the na narrative, in our words, the testimony of the vessel. Its former state of brokenness now makes the vessel extraordinary and one of a kind. All because the potter had a different perspective on remains. Interesting enough, this ancient uh, Japanese practice, watch this, this ancient Japanese practice has, is, is a hermeneutic to the text. It is a paradigm that, that emphasizes the process by which God revives remains. John now uh, is commanded to talk to the church of Sardis. This is my case study. The church at Sardis, the city of Sardis, very prosperous, well-known, wool-dying, uh, uh, center minting of gold and silver, had the greatest name among all the famous cities of the Lydian Empire. It was slowly, but it was slowly decreasing. Watch this, it was slowly declining and decreasing because of external and internal factors. Trouble and attack from within and without. And more importantly, uh, the Church of Sardis became uh, a, a center for idolatry. In other words, uh, they, 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 be, they begin to indulge in pagan uh, religion, no true spiritual life. Their affluence led them away from the true God, and they begin to worship counterfeit gods. They begin to worship gods that could not help them. Uh, they, they fought for prestige, power, titles, and positions. Allow me to contemporize the text. There was no oil in the house. Little presence, but much performance. They became prisoners of performance. A form of godliness, but no true move of the presence of God. The church of Sardis had an outward appearance of success, but its greatest moments were in the past, and they were now living, living off of their past reputation, not their present reality. Listen to John, I'm aware of your works, I'm aware of your citywide influence, your community engagement, your work in social justice, your ecumenical outreach, your excellence in leadership. I know all about it. But don't miss what I want to do with you because you're living off of the fuel of your past. He says, oftentimes, uh, Praises and accolades are still coming when, when praises and accolades are still coming from a reputation that you must have. The, the, the experience is very deceptive. It's deceptive because it's almost impossible to comprehend the reality of your moment is because you are being fueled and driven by the accolades and praises of your past. Therefore, you have this unmerited, deceived fulfillment, but the fulfillment is not about your present accomplishment or about who you are in this moment. The fuel comes from you still getting high off of who you used to be. When you misdiagnose yourself, you become blinded to the possibilities of who you can become and what you should be doing simply because you still, watch this, you're spending too much energy on who you used to be and you become too tired to fulfill who you ought to be. They were now they came to church and found themselves standing in the place of the shift, torn between the old and the new, 
the past and the present. You cannot be so in love with yesterday. You cannot be so in love with yesterday until you are now, uh, you, you jeopardize the movement of God and what God plans to do for you. They did not know how to refocus their mindset, their resources, their activities, their energy from a past reality to a present promise. The shift now, the, the, the text tells us how to make the shift. When you look at the text, it moves us from perilous promises, perilous times, to the possibility of empowerment in the present moment. When you look at the text, it shifts us from a troubled church to a triumphant church, a deceived people to a predestined people, and the state of grief to greatness, from pain to empowerment, and the prognosis is now reversed. Remember the bowl, remember the bowl, remember the bowl, the brokenness of the bowl. The, shed, the text now, shifts us from who we were to who we must be. The text shifts us from what we have lost to what we have left. Mm -hmm. The text shifts us from ruins to what remains. The text itself is a gift of God's grace. The text itself is a written guarantee that there is a revival coming to your remains. Look at the text. John emphatically says, wake up. The, the, the absence of the pronoun is you. You wake up. And, and, and the arousal is not from a sleep. It's from a, a, a state of numbness in which you have relegated your power to think. It's a state of, of numbness wherein as you have let other people decide the quality of your life. It's where you have let other people determine your significance. I dare somebody in here open your mouth and say, I ain't let nobody determine my significance. Because if I'm important to you, I'm important to God. The text tells you, come out of your previous state. Because if you are honest, you have to admit that your previous state has no longer any benefits to your future. And, and it was even dangerous. Uh, 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 if we will be honest, we have to admit that before this pandemic, we were being drained. Anybody honest enough to admit life was draining you? Let me talk to the screen. Let me say this, and I, I, I you know, my brother get me. But the truth of the matter is, the reason why the church all over the world are not filling up back up so quickly is because they were tired of what we was doing before the pandemic. You help me, sis, you help me. They, they would not admit it, but they had gotten tired, drained before the pandemic, such that after the pandemic, they didn't want to return to the staleness of that moment. That's why God says, I shall do a new thing. Anybody in this house 
has an expectation and an anticipation and a desire for the The prophetic utterance of this is that as you stood in the face of death, you must now stand in the face of life. That the grief of the moment must become an avenue into the greatness of your present experience. Uh, such that, uh, he says, Number one, prophetic utterance. There were things in your life that were about to die. I'm talking to the screen. I, I need some honest people in here this morning. Whether family relationships, your health, other relationships, finances, aspirations, dreams, hope, uh, your, 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 your living situation, your mental stability, your future, your life. Uh, uh, he says, it was about to die. Here is the grace of the text. The grace of the text is what he says. Uh, even some of us, some of us didn't know how drained of life we were until we tried to get up and fight. You were so whipped until you separated yourself because you didn't want nobody else to know just how drained you were. And, 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 and it became an experience where people were asking you for answers at a time when you didn't know what was going on either. How can I help you do this? And I say this to church leaders all the time. You did not sit on the sidelines and watch the pandemic. You went through the pandemic too. So we hurt together, so we can heal together. Here then, uh, the, 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 he says, as some of us in, in this pandemic time, some of us, there's another group in here, Bishop, that can admit when you felt like quitting, something in you wouldn't let you. When you felt like walking away, there was a grip on you that wouldn't let you walk. I don't know, for somebody it could have been a verse of a song, a piece of a scripture. All you know was when you were about to break down, something grabbed you. I got some honest folk in here this morning. Today, Bishop, when you look around the house, what you're looking at are the designated survivors. Somebody ought to celebrate surviving. I, I, I don't want to rain on that. But your survival is connected to your next assignment. Do you think God let you survive just so you can wear another outfit? Do you think God let you survive just so you can show up and say, here I am? He allowed you to survive because there's something that cannot live until you show up. There is something about to die 
that's waiting for you to get yourself together so that it can live. You're not the problem, you're somebody's solution. <coughs> there is a responsibility that goes with your survival. Surviving is not enough. But beyond your survival is the ordination of purpose that God put in you before the foundation of the world. Wait a minute. And ain't nobody mad but your jealous friends. You have an anointing that you have not used yet. A ministry you have not stepped in yet. There is a level of spirituality that God is trying to release in you. I came to tell, I came to tell some of you that situation in your family would have died a long time ago if it had not been for your presence. Your presence is what's keeping that alive. That's why they don't want to speak to you. That's why they mad at you. That's why they won't answer the telephone. Now God says the next prophetic utterance is God cannot use what you lost. He can only use what's left over. What remains. Because what you have left somebody holler left. What you have left is enough to bless you and your family for the rest of your life. That's, now, now, that's a prophetic utterance. So you ain't got to believe it. Just stand on it and accept it. Put a praise on it that what you have left. What's my Bible? The Bible for this is little becomes much when you put it in the master's hands. So I, I shift my focus. Y'all can sit down, y'all can sit down. I shift my focus from what I have lost. So now the text says I must refocus to what is left over. Because if I don't pay attention to what remains, it will die too. Look at the text. Look at the text. When the, the, the boy gave Jesus his fish, and God, watch the text. He broke it. Remember the potter. He blessed it. Y'all missing it. Y'all missing it. He blessed it. The little bit he blessed. Wait a minute, after he fed the 5,000, he said, gather up remain what remains so that none of it can be lost. The blessings of the remains. Let me bring us to the close. Uh, the revival of the remains, Bishop, It's not going to be some outside preacher coming in here making people sweat. The revival is going to start with prayer. And they were in a room 
with one accord, they had been praying. Exit two. And the prayer in the earth realm put them on the frequency with what was going on in the heavenly realm. The secret is they were with one accord. Which means when somebody said hallelujah, the person next to them said hallelujah too. It was the one accordness that caused the frequency from heaven to say it is now time to open up the heavens and release a sound into the earth. But a sound is not a sound if it does not have a receiver. Somebody gonna get this. They wasn't sitting in the room being entertained. They were sitting in the room with an anticipation of Jesus saying to them, go and wait until you receive power from on high. So while they were praying, they had a spirit of expectation. When they got with one accord, watch this, their prayers and their praises shifted the atmosphere such that the sound coming down from heaven, it came down through the realms of heaven, even through the second heaven, where the, the first heaven, second heaven is the, the throne of God. The first level was where Satan rules and reigns, uh-huh, but the, it was so powerful, the prayer on earth connecting to the sound from heaven until it cleared the airways such that the sound could get through the devil's domain and end up filling the people in the house. Notice this. It filled the atmosphere first, and then it filled the people. What are you saying? We get to the practicum and I'm done. Um, the revival. I am studying Bishop now with, I'm studying with a group of neuroscientists out of Penn State, Andrew Newberg and some other doctors, to advance the idea of neurotheology, belief in the brain. Remember in 1996, I preached at Hampton's minister conference, God is in my brain. But the revelation was not for then, because the church wasn't ready. Now, 25 years later, the scientists have put uh, 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 things and, and triggers and stuff on the brains of believers. The, 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 the position they take is that the brain well, let me, let me tell the truth about it. They were testing the Jewish brain. And they said the brain of an Orthodox Jew, because of the way they practice Judaism, if you put it on a table, it's different from a non-Jew. Me and my nosy self, I said, if you can identify the brain of a Jewish Orthodox Jew, then you ought to be able to identify the brain of somebody living holy. When they begin to test, Dr. Newber, Andrew Newber, when they begin to test and look at the brain of the believer and, and, and begin to study the neural systems of the brain, they found out because of belief Mm -hmm. because of what they believe that if they practice what they believe they can change their reality they're not getting it bishop they're not getting it let, let me let me fix it another way they begin to investigate the neurological changes 
that happened in the neurosystem, uh-huh, they documented, I saw the research, they documented what happens when you pray. They documented, I'm talking about revival, what happens to you when you praise God. They documented what happens when you clap your hands, when you dance, when you meditate, when you study the word. They documented the healing hormones that were released that brings down your blood pressure, change your, 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 your heartbeat. Uh, uh, what happens when, 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 when depression is dismissed? Uh, uh, what happens when you're sad and you begin to praise God? Uh-huh. Uh, they, they got cases of when they didn't understand how you could be an alcoholic on Thursday, come to church, give your heart to Jesus and don't like alcohol by Friday. They, they, got, they got evidence of gamblers who've been gambling for 15 years and come and give their lives to Christ and don't want to gamble no more. H how do we know this is true? We know this true because such were some of us. Let, let's be real. Anybody in here know that you were on your way to a dying hell? before God grabbed you and introduced you to Jesus. I need a praise from those of you that used to be, that used to be, that used to be. So then, uh, here we are, here we are, uh, here we are. The, the, the whole idea, and I'm just going to wrap this up and stop. The whole idea and understanding that they, they, the neuroscientists, they invited us in as theologians to help them make sense out of what they saw. The praise team is racking their brains trying to get you to praise God when if you would do it for yourself, you can get healed. This, we're intelligent people. This does not mean I ignore my doctor. It means I help him. When when we clap our hands, that's a part of the protocol that makes us get above ourselves. When we tell you to pray and pray in the spirit, something is released in your own body that brings life. To be revived means you were once alive, something happened to cause you to want to go towards death, and now you're being brought back to life. Every protocol you need to get a miracle, you already got. But the problem is, when we come in here, we have to work the praise team, work the musicians, work the preachers, when all you gotta do is open up your own mouth. No, no, that's not good enough. I I'm going to quit. But that's not good enough because I see some of you praising God and some of you sitting with your mouth closed. They were with one accord. Listen, even if you don't want to do it, I'm going to tell the person next to you to do it. And when they do it, it's going to help shift the atmosphere around you. There is a revival in this church, but we have to be with one accord. Tell your neighbor, don't mess this up for me. If you can't do it for yourself, do it for my children. You may not need to be delivered, but I got some children that need to be delivered. I got some family members that need to be helped.
you praise God, your blood pressure go down. It's because it's because our praise is not bodily exercise. Our praise is connected to the supernatural power of God. Why do a bunch of scientists have to tell us that there's power in your praise? We have become living empirical evidence that serving the Lord works. For the next 60 seconds, we're going to praise God. And hold, hold up, sis. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Y'all sit down. Remember, it filled the house where they were sitting. Y'all sit down. You about to get a miracle. Signs and wonders. Huh? All of the components are in the room. The problem is you in the way. You ain't that important. You need Jesus. Don't y'all forget I'm a certified psychologist. And what I thought was in the mind was the mess in the spirit. That's why this is the season of the Holy Ghost. Hear what the spirit has to say. For the next 60 seconds, for the next 60 seconds, I want you to come on out your little wonderful self because the person sitting next to you needs a miracle in their house. This ain't no time to be macho, to be fabulous. This is a, he that worships God must worship him. I don't want no sad music. Act like you come out of the church gone cry. For the next 60 seconds, we're going to raise the consciousness of the room. We're going to shift the atmosphere. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Be determined. I must leave this service different than the way I came in here. It is, it, it, it's, the, it's the covenant of reciprocity. Isaiah says, if I give him the, 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 the sadness for sadness, he'll give me the oil of joy. For the spirit of heaviness, he gives me the garment of praise. But I cannot get that if I don't give him this. For the next 60 seconds, I'm going to give some of y'all permission. If you need to get up and walk, you do it. But for 60 seconds, nothing should be coming out of your mouth and out of your belly shall flow. Rivers of what kind of waters? What kind of waters? Living waters. For the next 60 seconds, I want either a hallelujah or a thank you Jesus coming out of your mouth. Uh-huh. And we begin now. Out of your mouth. Put life in your mouth. And we bless your name, Lord. 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 
out of your belly out of your belly out of your belly Somebody do me a favor. Send up a praise for somebody on your road. You may be seated. You may be seated. I, I, I watched some of the brothers, Pastor. Some of y'all was hollering louder yesterday at the football game about the football game than you are in here this morning. Give God the praise that you would give him if he was at a football game. And this next praise is going to help your family. It's going to help your children. You may be seated. Pastor, come on, get this mic. The people represent the church no matter where we are. So stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.